Welcome back to LGB and the T. This is your host, B-Ron. Um, I want to welcome you to our second episode, which is Unconditionally Broke as Fuck with Conditions. And there is a reason for that title. But again, thank you for joining me for the second episode. I really had to come on to um, express my feelings regarding a particular situation that has come out in the news. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to do with the LGBT community. However, it does have an indirect impact, uh, impact on me and my family. And I will explain that in a minute. So let's go ahead and get into it. So it has come out that George Zimmerman has filed a $100 million lawsuit against the family of Trayvon Martin, his parents, um, Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin are among the people listed in this lawsuit, along with their attorney, Ben Crump. Um, I want to say it's also the state of Florida and the prosecutors um, basically claiming damages for, I guess, the trial that, that happened that he was actually acquitted for. This has brought this case back into the limelight and you would literally have to be living under a rock if you do not know the case of uh, George Zimmerman um, and the killing of Trayvon Martin. So seven years ago, Trayvon Martin was actually walking back from a convenience store after he bought a can of Arizona tea and a bag of Skittles. And he was also wearing a hoodie. George Zimmerman thought that he was suspicious. Thus, he said that he was standing his ground when he shot and killed Trayvon Martin because Trayvon Martin um, actually hit him and knocked him down. Um, George Zimmerman went through um, trial and he was acquitted of second-degree murder charges. Hence, thousands of people ransacked the streets wearing hoodies, chanting Trayvon's name, holding... Some of them had iced tea and Skittles. uh, And this is where we get basically the start or the beginning of Black Lives Matter. This lady has lost her child, um, Sabrina Fulton. Uh, However, even though she mourns and she cries for her child almost every day, she actually got called to action. She felt like that's what she needed to do and became her and um, Trayvon's dad have become activists to senseless gun violence and actually have petitioned and and spoke against the stand your ground law. Now, even though after the trial, Zimmerman has been caught in some mess and in some trouble, um, particularly assault, domestic violence, um against girlfriends he was caught speeding they let him go with a warning i believe it was two girlfriends that claimed that they were victims of domestic violence against him they later tried to say that their claims were were null and void and basically dropped the um dropped one of the charges against Zimmerman dropped now it 
it bothers me so much that this man not only did you take this family's child away now you're suing them because you believe that the family had some conspiracy against you although you were the one that killed their child even after you called 911 and against the dispatcher um advice you decided to proceed and confront Trayvon Martin when all he was trying to do was walk home. So here's the T on that. Um, because I, I really didn't want to give this any power um, by bringing this up. However, I felt like it was important because the scumbag decided that he wanted to, you know, get his 15 minutes of fame back uh after all so here's the realty and i be, and and this is just my opinion of course but george zimmerman is broke as fuck and it's really i believe it's bothering him that uh that trayvon's parents sabrina fulton and tracy martin are literally building Trayvon Martin's legacy black hashtag black lives matter still exists but no one really gives a damn about George Zimmerman but Trayvon's parents are literally building their child's legacy with books and films they're rubbing arms with a-listers and hell you could even call them a-listers yourself so it's really killing Zimmerman um to see that along with Ben Crump, who's now in commercials and on, on billboards, uh, Ben Crump just had a book deal to come out and basically all of them right now are living their best life. Even after the tragedy of losing their child and George Zimmerman is rocking pillow to post trying to make ends meet in somebody's basement. But that's the realty that he's broke and like legit broke, broke. And he's pissed off because he can't sell any of his uh, publicity rights for any type of books and films. And I won't say that he that he can't, but it'll be dumb if he did. And I'll tell you why. Um, If you if you know anything. You know, there's a little bit of piece of everything when it comes to legal strategies and law. For instance, um, if you guys remember when O.J. Uh, Simpson was on trial for Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman's murder soon after uh, the trial, and he was acquitted of both of their murders, Ron Goldman's parents sued O.J. Simpson uh, with a wrongful death lawsuit. Catch it. Um, from my understanding, Ron, Gold, uh, Ron Goldman's parents have yet to receive any money from, from that lawsuit. So let me break it down for you as to why Zimmerman was never sued or the legal team decided not to sue Zimmerman for the wrongful death of Trayvon Martin at this point. Because right now, Florida doesn't have a statute of limitations for um, wrongful death by homicide in civil lawsuits. But see, if they would have sued Zimmerman after the trial and won, all Trayvon's um, family would have gotten basically was a judgment against Zimmerman and he's someone who doesn't have any money he's broke as fuck remember so when they would have gotten the judgment to be honest all he would have had to do was declare bankruptcy and the judgment would have went away they wouldn't have been able to sue him again and um he would have then been able to turn around and capitalize off of selling his publicity rights. And I'm sure Ben Crump, who's a very smart man, knew this, and that's why they're waiting and holding the guns right now. Um, 
because if Zimmerman decides to sell his publicity rights for books or for film and he starts acquiring a little, you know, a little change or whatever, then uh, Trayvon's parents could sue um, could sue him and then claim all of all of the money from whatever he sells. Catch it now. So they weren't going to let that happen. So right now Zimmerman is broke. He's fucking miserable and basically giving him and and karma is giving him everything that that bastard deserves. Well, and and of course this is just opinion, right? So by suing him back then Trayvon's family can swoop on in with a lawsuit at any time if he tries to sell his uh, publicity rights. And that will eventually stop him from making any money off the back of Trayvon Martin, his victim. Because that's what they do, right? I'm, I, You know, of course, I... You know, he was he was acquitted, but the evidence was there. And to be honest, I'm I'm just going to keep it real. The justice system has not played out too well for people in the African-American community. Um, but a jury of his peers felt like he was justified in killing a teenage boy who was unarmed. And even some of the jurors came back and said they made a fucking mistake. But that's neither here nor there. That was seven years ago and they could have done the right thing seven years ago. But as soon as... And, and that's why they're waiting because as soon as he decides that he wants to write a book... Or he wants to make a film or a documentary, then I'm sure Ben Crump and Trayvon's family is going to come right on in and come right behind him and sue him for his publicity rights and any money that he ever thought that he would make off of that boy's name and off of that boy's blood will belong back to the family. So we want them broke and we want them miserable. You know what I'm saying? So, um... It it it's really frustrating that he has brought this case back into the limelight um, the way that he has on frivolous, and I mean frivolous accusations, conspiracy and defamation of character, and there was nothing to fame about it other than speaking the facts. You killed my child and you killed a 17-year-old, an unarmed black man. And the reason why I'm so passionate about it is I would tell people all the time, of course, if you listen to the first episode, you will know that I am a man of trans experience. And even though I am a man of trans experience, when I walk into a store, when I walk into my job, when I when I go anywhere in society, I don't have trans stamped on my forehead. All they see is a black man. Not to mention, I'm raising a black boy at this very state. So when I see things like this or I hear things like this, um, when Trayvon Martin was murdered, when Michael Brown was killed, when Botman John was killed, it is a sense of fear in my soul that it could happen to me Or it can happen to my child because they don't see they don't see the MBA that I carry. They don't see 
um, the potential high school diploma that my child will will have next year. They don't see that I wake up every morning and I go to work every day to support my family. They don't see that. They see a black man. And I will always tell people when I speak in front of a group of people, it's difficult to say that me transitioning was simply a choice as if I had a choice to do it or not. Mentally and emotionally, it was life and death for me. So I went from being one of the least threatening members of society, meaning that I was once a black woman, to now the most feared and the most threatening member in society. And I doubt that anyone in their right mind would volunteer for that position. Meaning, I doubt that if it wasn't a life and death moment for me to make the decision to transition into the man that I am, I doubt that I or anyone else would volunteer to have the stigma of being a black man in America stamped on their forehead. Every time I see a police officer, I'm frightened to my soul. Every time I send my child off to school, I, I'm scared for him and just pray that he comes back home to me. On my way back home, I pray that I just make it back home to my family. And, and this is the reality that I face every day. If I was a black female, which I once were, I doubt that a lot of the fear and the anxiety that I have living in society today would even exist. I literally take medicine every day to calm my nerves because of the climate of, of society today. I'm just here to live my life, live in my truth, and be the best person that I can be. However, it's hard when there's an invisible target on your back and you did absolutely nothing to put it there. And it's scary. And and that's how I and that's how I tie um my experience as someone who's trans to this story um and it it really just upset me and it bothered me so much the fact that the man that was accused of killing Trayvon Martin is now suing the victim's parents for defamation and for damages. And I guess I have a real, real hard time understanding it when you were standing over his body with the gun. You called 911 marking your every steps based on the situation that was going on. The police did their investigation and later arrested you for the murder of Trayvon Martin. So what defamation of character is there? Any books 
that Trayvon Martin's parents have put out regarding their child's life, that is in their reality. That is in their perception. That is in their right. That was their child. And it's not opinion-based. It's all fact-based. Everything that happened in the trial, when, when criminals go to trial or whenever you go to trial, they just don't say, hey, you did this, so we're just going to send you to trial. No, the police do an investigation. They send the evidence to the district attorney. The district attorney makes the decision sometimes on whether or not to pursue charges or they present it to a grand jury in which the grand jury will decide, yes, there is enough evidence to charge this person with first degree murder. There is enough evidence to charge this person with armed robbery and then it will go to trial. So apparently there was enough evidence and enough facts to bring you to trial, which caused a nationwide uproar. I don't know about anyone else, but when I was in front of the TV, that's all I saw. That's all I wanted to see. I wanted to see how the trial would, would unfold. I wanted to hear the evidence firsthand from the medical examiner, from the, the young lady that was on the phone with Trayvon when the incident happened, the 911 phone call, what, what the police officers saw when they got there. Why was Zimmerman even following the boy anyway? I've lived in my neighborhood for almost four years. I see people walking up and down my street every day. And it's always someone different. You have the few people that you see on a consistent basis because they're walking their dog or, you know, they walk around the neighborhood or they caught the bus and you know that they live up the street. So you're going to see neighbors, consistent neighbors every day because their routine is the same. However, there are a few people that I see walking up and down the street and I have no earthly idea who they are. I don't know everybody in my fucking neighborhood. But that doesn't give me a right to go follow them and ask them, hey, where do you live? Can I see your ID? Well, I'm going to stand right here to make sure that your key works in your door. Or what are you doing in my neighborhood? I don't have any right to do that. Now, if you peeping in my car, that's a different story. But if I'm just walking down the street or I'm in my house, minding my own business, guess what? That's what the fuck I'm doing. And now he's coming up with this frivolous ass lawsuit for a hundred million dollars. Because right, because now we're past the grieving point. Now Trayvon's parents are in action mode and they have a Trayvon Martin Foundation. His death caused the Black Lives Matter movement. Ben Crump and all of them got book deals. They had a documentary in which, from my understanding, when the documentary was taking place, Zimmerman called the private investigator that was working with them about the Trayvon Martin documentary, called the private investigator 55 times, left him 36 voicemails, texted him 67 times, and sent 27 emails in, in a nine-day span. If that doesn't scream out mental illness or some kind of insanity to you, I don't know what will. But now they're building their child's legacy on his name because he was a victim. And now he Zimmerman comes back and tries to sue this family for a hundred million dollars. For what? This child's blood is on your hands. For what? Because you broke. 
because you broke as fuck and you have nothing better to do but to try to stay in the limelight and try to remain relevant after killing a young black boy who was unarmed coming from a convenience store with an iced tea and a bag of Skittles. Iced tea and a bag of Skittles. But I digress. I at least wanted to get that off of my chest in the start of the show. Again, this is all my opinion. You know, again, he went through the legal system. He was acquitted by a jury of his peers. However, even some of the jury members said that they even fucked up, that they even made a mistake. And they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And now he comes back and tries to sue his victim's family and their legal and, and their legal team. It when I just read it. It just made my blood boil. It just pissed me off even more. And I know Sabrina Fulton, she's actually going out for, I believe, a, a board um, a board position on the board of commissioners in Miami Dade, in, in like Miami Dade, in Florida. She's trying, she's doing what she can to make changes and to build up her son's name for you to come around and try to sue them because you thought that they had a hand in what was going on. They just buried their child. They buried their child right before, right before the trial ended. They have to sit up here and look at autopsy photos. Like, it, it, I mean, it just boggled my mind when I read it. And it made me fearful for my own child and for my safety as well. And see, I, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, put anybody else on blast but with the murder rate of transgender people going up every year, it puts a bigger target on my head. If I just come around and be like, hey, I'm transgender and I'm black, my target just got bigger. So I can only imagine only imagine what this family is going through but they have a great legal team they have a ton of supporters behind them there is a petition going out to get the attorney that is actually representing Zimmerman in this lawsuit disbarred because in the lawsuit he puts the addresses and the phone numbers of everybody listed in the lawsuit. The prosecutor, Ben Crump, Trayvon Martin's uh, parents' attorney, Ben Crump, Sabrina Fulton, and Tracy Martin. And they and the attorney already knows that you don't do you put it that you put that personal information in the summons so that the summons is served to that individual party. You don't put it in a lawsuit because lawsuits are made to be public information. So now everybody in the world has, has these people addresses and phone numbers. And even Sabrina Martin said, I don't even, I don't even feel safe going home. I don't even feel safe going to my own home. And this is a lawyer that has been practicing for 47 plus years and do that dumb shit. Public information. To put this case back into the limelight and for what? Because you broke as fuck. 
Of course, you can hear it in my voice, how deep, deeply passionate I am about this. So to, to calm myself down, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back with some more. Hey, listeners, I have an ask of you. I'm humbled and grateful for the listener interest over the past few weeks and the scores of messages received, letting me know that this podcast has improved your day or week, has simply been inspiring. Special thanks to the community for engaging and interacting with the show in many instances daily. I want to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, entertains, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support will help the show grow and lead it into the 21st century. I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show, and the whole thing will take no more than 30 seconds. It's anchor.fm backslash LGB and the T backslash support. That's anchor.fm backslash LGB and the T backslash support. We're asking for $5 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If LGB and the T is a part of your day or week, and you will love and you absolutely love what we're doing, please visit anchor.fm backslash LGB and the T backslash support and support us any way you can. Thank you. And thank you for coming back to LGB and the T. I'm your host, B. Ron, and now that I've calmed down significantly, um, I wanted to discuss domestic violence in the LGBT community and, of course, the most intimate relationships, human relationships, um, often behind closed doors. There's many paths of pain when partners commit violence against one one another whether it's physically, emotionally, or sexually. And although our nation has moved forward progressively in addressing domestic violence and domestic violence uh, situations, particularly through better detection by healthcare personnel, public safety responders, uh, emergency hotlines, it seems as though the LGBT community to a certain degree lacks the same compassion and support and it's not always extended to that community or that population, Um, which some of the issues that actually arise out of these events are often more alarming and more frequent than in the heterosexual population. Um, The domestic violence awareness movement is more so focused on the heterosexual aspect or the heterosexual relationships and the LGBT community as a whole or as as a unit have been largely left out of that movement. Um, according to, and I'm reading this, according to the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey conducted by the National Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as the CDC, nearly half of lesbians and 61% of bisexual women experience rape physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner compared to 35% of heterosexual women. 26% of gay men and 37% of bisexual men experience rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner compared to 29% of heterosexual men. Um, And according to the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey, 
uh, this was conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality, found that 47% of transgender people are sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. Um, it is also noted that a study from the University of Michigan reported that male couples report as much domestic violence as straight couples, underscoring the universal nature of domestic violence in relationships. Now, uh, most victims of LGBT domestic violence often receive inadequate responses from the social safety net that are in place for heterosexual individuals. Uh, most healthcare per, uh, professionals and public safety responders, they are, I don't want to say that they don't know, however, they are more so inadequately trained uh, and insensitive to that form of domestic violence, meaning that they lack the necessary training to then act upon same-sex or transgender domestic violence. I remember in the first episode, I was speaking about the Transgender Day of Remembrance and how at that point in the episode, at least 22 people of trans experience have died due to violence. Majority of the transgender people who have suffered this year due to violence was caused by someone that they know. If you ever watch, like, a lot of my, a lot of my favorite shows are true crime shows, like um, Cold Case Files. Um, I even listen to another podcast called Crime Junkies, and they speak about murders and things of that nature. I also watch The First 48. That is absolutely one of my favorite shows. And unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not naive to domestic violence or domestic violence situation. I have myself been involved in domestic violence. I have also known people, especially in the LGBT community, that have experienced some form of domestic violence as well. I will speak to my experience and another experience that I'm sort of familiar with, but it tends to always come back to someone the person knows. They always look at the father, the the husband, the wife, the uh, Scott Peterson case. It The main suspect that they looked at was the husband. Unfortunately, he did do it, but it's always typically someone that the victim knows when it comes to domestic violence. Um, so for my story, by this time I, I was what you call blending in society. That means that I passed the awkward stage of me still looking kind of feminine, I looked more masculine at the time, and as I do now, and basically when I walked into a building, people saw a man. It was towards the beginning stages of my trans transition, which, you know, is, is a kind of funky time. I still didn't have my surgery, uh, my voice was cracking, I was still kind of going through this awkward uh, preteen, adolescent, puberty thing, uh, so my voice was cracking, my facial hair was, was starting to come in, not as thick, but it was coming in, 
um, had the mustache, had the goatee, and I felt comfortable in my relationship. And this particular person actually came from where she was living and came here to Virginia to spend time with me. And, you know, we were pretty serious at the time, but I made sure that she was had a hotel. I was there in the hotel with her. We went out. We had drinks. And to be honest, I, I don't quite remember what happened, but I know that we ended up getting into an argument. And during this argument, she proceeds to take my testosterone, and the testosterone I was taking at the time was not injections. It was actually a gel that I put under my arms, which you have to be careful with. And considering that the bottle was about $50 a pop, and it only lasts for 30 days, I was, it it pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. It really pissed me off. And I didn't, and I didn't say, you know, I didn't put my hands on her. I didn't say anything. I I was just basically like, yo, like, I don't care where you go, but you're not about to stay in this hotel room that I paid for and disrespect me in that way. It ended up me getting called a bitch and, oh, that's right, you were a bitch, which can be triggering to someone who is newly or has um, decided that they want to transition, not to mention she was calling me by my dead name. And a dead name is the name that you were once called if you decide to change your name. Uh, And that's what I did. I decided to take the legal steps to change my name legally uh, versus being called what my parents had given me, hence the name Dead Name. So that was also triggering. And I remember grabbing her suitcase, getting ready to basically throw her shit out of the hotel room, She hops up on the bed, and she punches me in my eye. At this point, I still did not put my hands on her, but she ends up slapping me, punching me in my stomach, and the only thing I did was grab her hands so she could stop hitting me. At that point, I called the police, and because we were in a hotel room, um, I literally had to provide them with the address, but as I was providing them with the address, she slaps the phone out of my hand and damages my phone. I'm trying to leave I'm trying to leave the hotel room. She won't let me leave, so I end up sleeping in the chair. And when I woke up, I had to go to class and I left for class. And I had this big black eye. And my instructor asked me, started to laugh, and was like, whoa, it looks like you got hit by a baseball. What happened? And I was too ashamed to say that my girlfriend at the time beat the dog shit out of me. But I chucked it off saying that I played football yesterday and things got a little too rough because I was ashamed. And did I go back? Yes, I went back and I believe that the incident happened around a June or July because I was still in college at the time. But by December I literally gathered my strength and grabbed grabbed myself by the balls and said, you know, this this isn't what I want. This is never what I want, and it's never okay for anybody to put my hand, their hands on me 
when there was nothing I did to physically to provoke that. I don't care what words I may have said or um, how angry you may have been just by me trying to kick you out. But all in all, it was a pretty traumatic event. And that day going forward, I said I would never allow anyone to treat me uh, that way because that's not love, which kind of goes into my next segment of unconditional love and love with conditions. So there's a lot of, I know that I brought it up in the first episode about how we tend to say we can will unconditionally love someone but in fact as humans we love with conditions. So I actually pulled up a lot of articles and I I started reading about it because there is a difference between conditional love and unconditional so when we love someone conditionally we tend to want them to look act think in certain ways that fit our own expectations and paradigms. It's basically an internal thought process to believe that we should have people to act and think a certain way. And it starts really from childhood. I'll love you if you bring home straight A's. I'll love you if you're quiet, if you're tiny, if you're clean. Um, It's... It's basically a condition of love. I'm I'm trying to make sure that, that I gather my thoughts and make sure that I try to speak in um, a holistic way. Um, uh, basically, another version of conditional love is passion. And it's a term that we kind of use for sexual feelings that we have when we meet someone, uh, basically chemistry. Um, So I'm looking for someone to complete me rather than someone to share my whole self with. That means that you take the good, the bad, and the ugly. Prime example, and this is something so small and so minute, but when I met my wife, my wife has OCD when it comes to cleaning. Everything needs to be spick and span. Everything needs to be spotless. I won't necessarily call myself a pig, But there were certain things that I did that she did not find becoming of a clean man. I, whenever I get home from work, the first thing I do is I walk in, I take my shoes off, I put my house shoes on. And even though there's a hamper right there by my bedroom door, I completely bypass the hamper and when I take my clothes off to take a shower, I leave my clothes on the floor. I don't put them in the hamper. It used to drive her crazy. But instead of 
saying I'm going to fall out. I, I have fallen out of love with you. You are a messy individual. I truly hate this about you. She accepted the fact that this is just the person who I am. I can see the hamper right there. And my clothes will sit on the floor right next to the hamper. But that's a quirk that she learned to love about me unconditionally. She just said, hey, this is how Byron is. He he does not put his clothes in the hamper. He puts them on the floor. He'll get them in the hamper soon enough. But she never stopped loving me or she never st- she didn't put expectations or barriers around that love. Now, unconditional love is love without discernment. It's it comes at a soul level. And that's not to say that you need to stay where you are because a person has disrespected you or a person has treated you poorly. No, unconditional love means that you love me and my whole self. You love the fact you may not be able to tolerate it, but you love the effort of me trying to cook even though I don't season my chicken properly. Um, It's... It's loving without barriers. It's loving without um, expect. I don't want to say expectations because we have expectations as human beings. What we will tolerate and what we won't tolerate. And I will just speak candidly uh, because I know the situation. But it's more so um, another level of love. My wife's mother-in-law, she is the epitome of what a dysfunctional family is. And she grew up in trauma and not really dealing with her trauma, passed that trauma along to her kids. And And even though my wife has broken that cycle... Because of the love and the compassion and the understanding that I've shown her. And I've shown her there's a different way to love. Her mom still holds with this trauma and the dysfunction of how she treats people. Especially her daughter, which is my wife. And there are certain things that she will not tolerate. Because she has identified that her mother is toxic it doesn't take away the fact that she loves her mother she does love her mother but she loves her mother with certain conditions i love you from a distance but i will no longer enable you by assisting you financially i will no longer allow you to talk or to treat me a certain type of way. So I'm going to cut you off because that is best for me and my family mentally and emotionally and to let you brew and stew in your own mess and dysfunction. And I hope that makes sense. I really hope that it makes sense. Now, Unconditional love may still have conditions. Unconditional love is basically um, a spiritual growth thing. It's, It's the highest form of love. And in some instances, it means I'll love you no matter what. And we tend to think that unconditional love... It's the love of like family members or married couples. Um, 
And the fact that we say I do, it means that I love you no matter what, for better or for worse, and for richer or for poor, in good times and bad. Um, but it's that's not always the case. Um, we can love someone unconditionally from a distance while having conditions for how they treat us. And and that's where I was getting at with particularly like my wife's mother. Um, we can pray for them. We can wish them well. We can want the best for them um, while maintaining boundaries about how we get treated. Unconditional love um, in its purest sense doesn't necessarily mean allowing someone to repeatedly abuse or harm us no matter what. No, that's not that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that oh, um I'm going to I'm going to love I'm going to stay with you or I'm going to be around you um but you know and you can just treat me however. Um It's, it it doesn't mean that and i don't i don't want people to think that you, and i don't want people to think that you have to stay in an emotionally mentally physically financially spiritually abusive relationship because you're loving someone unconditionally love unconditional love can come with boundaries it's when we're so wrapped up in the superficial aspects of people and of relationships i'll only love you if you're 120 pounds i'll only love you if you go to the military, I'll only love you if you bring home a certain amount of money. Those, those things are conditional love versus unconditional love. And I want people to wrap their heads around that. Don't think that you have to stay or that you have to love someone through through all of the the unnecessary BS. You can unconditionally love someone from a distance. You can love unconditionally love someone where they're at, but it doesn't have to spill over into your life, especially if it's abusive or if it's toxic and serves you no purpose but despair and misery. And that actually wraps up the second episode of LGB and the T. Thank you again for joining. Um, Of course, I want to uh, put this out here. Uh, The the podcast is actually uh, funded through myself which it which is fine but I'm also looking for sponsors to help fund the podcast so I'm able to get better equipment um and and work on the podcast and make it better and make it grow uh I've also posted the link to my podcast not just on Spotify but also on Anchor where you can actually set up a donation so we can get funded and we're able to move the podcast along. I'm, you know, I'm not one to beg anyone to listen to my podcast. I'm not begging anyone to donate. It certainly does help. I thoroughly enjoy what I do. So if you would like to donate, um, the link is to the donation is actually in this episode so we can move um f- 
forward in a positive aspect in 2020. Uh, I'm hoping to add guests to the podcast, so be aware of that. Um, And again, I'm always looking for sponsors and sponsorships. So if you know any businesses or anyone that would like to get sponsored on the show, also please let me know. And again, thank you for listening to the second episode of LGB and the T. Please like, please share um, the podcast so I can get more listeners and become the, the great superstar that I know that I personally can be. Again, thank you, and see you next time.